Hi, my name is Truly, and today I will be reading Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is amazing how relevant the scriptures are today as they were back then. Amen. Nice job, Truly. That's my niece, by the way, not to... Morning. How are we this morning? Good. Good, good, good. I can't believe it is March. I mean, January felt truly like 75 days, didn't it? But February felt like about two weeks. And next week, we got spring forward. Four weeks from now, we've got Easter. That's what I'm talking about. It's getting towards spring. So, hey, I'd love to pray for us, and then we'll get started. Father, uh, we thank you so much for who you are. Um, Just in this moment right now, help us. There are things that we come in with. There are heavy burdens. Maybe there are sin habits. There's anxieties, all that. I pray right now in this moment, reorient our hearts in the proper perspective in this moment. Help us to see you a little more clearly for who you are. We love you very much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're in our series called One Church Under God. We're in the third week. In the first week, Justin did a great job talking about unity with Christ. We have to have unity with Christ or really we can't have unity anywhere else. And then last week we talked about unity within our closest personal relationships and how really if we want to have unity, we really have to think a whole lot less about ourselves and a lot more about those people and those relationships. What do they desire? What do they value? All those things. This week, we're going to talk about unity within our church here at Grace Meadows. And in fact, we're going to do that over the next two weeks. And specifically, we're going to talk about how do we handle when there is conflict. Because undoubtedly in your life, there's going to be conflict, right? And it's one of those things that you wish, maybe in high school you had a class on like conflict resolution, but you didn't. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, you wish you had a class on taxes or how to make things or, you know, stuff like that. We wish we had a class on conflict resolution, but we didn't. And undoubtedly, there's going to be all kinds of conflict that comes up in our lives. So we want to process through that over the next couple of weeks. How do we handle conflict inside of our church? Now, Conflict is one of those areas where we will often revert back to what's familiar. You know, we're going along in our transformation, we're taking next steps, we're, we're leaning into this new life that we have, and then conflict comes up, and then we'll often revert right back to where we were. Think about the Israelites. They had been 400 years into slavery, man, and God does this amazing work, frees them from captivity, Right? And in fact, there's a whole song in Exodus 15 devoted to just this liberation that they feel. And yet, just a few weeks later, some tension, some pain, some conflict comes up, and they long to go back into slavery. And you're like, really? What? You want to go back there? That's what we do very often, isn't it? Whenever there's conflict, whenever there's tension, we, will, we would rather go back to what's familiar to us, even if it's painful, then go into those uncharted waters, those unfamiliar places. We'd rather revert back. And this is uh, true throughout the scriptures, too. I mean, think about Peter, man. You know, Peter, Peter, man. (laughs) You like that. 
Man, think about how he, when things got difficult, he didn't understand Jesus' next move. It was unfamiliar to him. What does he do? He goes back. He goes back to fishing, man. And there's nothing wrong with fishing. Man, I am down with fishing. All right, I'm taking a fishing trip in a few weeks, and I need to learn how before I go. But, <laughs> but I, am, I am down with fishing. But he was on track to be a fisher of men. Jesus had this plan for him, and when things got a little bit unfamiliar to him, there was this tension, there was this conflict. What did he do? He went back. Same with somebody like Judas. I mean, he doesn't understand why Jesus would allow this woman to uh, uh, pour all this perfume on Jesus' feet. And so he says, what? I'm going to go back to what's familiar. Money is what I know. I'm going to go back to that. We do this so many times. Even if it were something that's really bad for us, when conflict, when tension comes up, we like to go back. We revert back. Galatians 5.1 is truly read for us. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, he's saying, don't, re- don't revert back. Christ has given you a new life of freedom. Don't go back. And sometimes that freedom leads us into unfamiliar territories, doesn't it? You know, this is a whole brand new life. Things like unity... That's not really normal to us. We don't revert back to unity. We revert back to disunity, don't we? And Jesus is saying here, you're free. And sometimes that freedom can feel just a little bit awkward, especially when there's conflict, when there's tension. But just stay with me. Just keep going in this unfamiliar territory, and I will lead you into places of peace and unity. As a really bad example of this, every now and then I will go on a diet, and it usually lasts about a day, I mean, let's be honest, but, but I will go, like, that one day, I'll go hard, breakfast, lunch, dinner, eat really, really healthy, nine o'clock rolls around, and that stomach starts rumbling a little bit, and I say, you know what, I've eaten healthy today, let me just get that big bowl of ice cream, you know, <laughs> now I've sabotaged the whole thing, right there, a little bit of pain, a little bit of tension, a little bit of conflict within me, and we revert back. We do that so very often, perhaps for you as you come in today. Maybe there are moments you can look back to where you faced conflict or tension. And it's been very easy for you to just go back to what's familiar, even if it's painful, even if it's hard. At least you can depend on it. You can see clearly, so you just go back. The question I have for us as we continue on is, are we committed to trusting where God is taking us into new unknown realms and sometimes uncomfortable realms, but that lead us towards unity, or do we wish to return to what is familiar during times of conflict? Can we trust Him? Can we say, you know, this, this feels awkward, I'm not used to this, this just doesn't feel like what I'm used to, but yet I'm committed to just going ahead and moving forward. Maybe for you in the past, when you've seen conflict or tension... You've reverted to being passive. You know, it's, I'm going to isolate. I'm going to withdraw. And by the way, sometimes we ought to withdraw when there's conflict because sometimes that can present an unsafe situation. Or sometimes we will even go to the route of saying, you know what, there's no conflict. It's not a big deal. Nothing to see here. So instead of addressing it, we will often withdraw. Uh, Second Timothy, Paul speaks to this. He says, man, everybody just deserted me. 
when there was conflict, everybody just withdrew. Everybody just went away. Why? Because this group wasn't used to actually tackling the conflict. It was new to them, but instead of going through those, un, those new territories, those unknown territories, they decided to just revert back to passivity. Maybe for you. Maybe when there's conflict, you become very passive. You isolate. You withdraw. And what happens is, you go to the next relationship, the next relationship, and really there's no depth ever to the relationship. There's no resilience to the relationship. There's no maturity in the relationship because we continue to withdraw anytime there's any possible conflict. Or maybe in times of conflict, you revert back to being passive-aggressive. Instead of dealing with the problem head-on, instead of going to that person, now you start to want to take sides. You know, you, you start to try to get people along on your side of it, right? You tell other people about it instead of addressing it with that person. Maybe you, maybe you want to start to let teams form here. And you think about the, the Pharisees, man, with Jesus. What do they do? They go to these different groups, you know, how can we get them? How can we get them? How can we get them? Here's what he's doing. Here's what he's doing, right? And now you've got teams forming here instead of just going to that person. Maybe in times of conflict, we've been very passive-aggressive. We've been quick to make teams. And my dad always says, when you start to do that, now you've raised it from a conflict to a contest. And now you've elevated the conflict instead of addressing it head on. Or maybe you revert back to an aggressive approach. The Cain versus Abel approach, man. The grab stones approach. The I can't handle my emotions when things don't go my way approach, so I just explode. Like the toddler, you know, who just gets really angry. They don't, they don't understand their emotions, so they just get really angry about it. Maybe you just want to tell somebody off, man. You just want to get after them whenever you have conflict, right? Or you want to dominate over them, or you want to destroy their reputation, potentially. Things like that. These things are the things that we revert back to very often. Now, as a kid, I had all three of these, man. I had the trifecta going. I remember, I remember one time uh, I was really upset with my dad. I had a conflict with my dad. So I went and yelled in his face. That was the aggressive approach, which was a really bad idea because he could beat me up. And <laughs> he still can beat me up. But, um, but then after that, I withdrew. I isolated so I had that passive approach, which was also a bad idea because I actually had to steal his car to leave the house, which could have called the police on me, and thank you for not doing that. Um, and then, after that, I went and talked bad about him to my sisters, the passive-aggressive approach, which was also a bad I idea because they're not going to take their annoying little brother's side over their dad's side, right? So we do all those three things, don't we? Maybe we do all three of them often, or maybe there's one of them that's dominant. Think about that. What, what, what is your reverting idea when there's conflict? Because we undoubtedly all have it. But I think, I think for us, God has a different way for us moving forward. And so next week, we're going to talk about more of that like outward response to resolving the conflict. But this week, I want to talk about setting our hearts up in position so that now we're ready to act regarding that conflict. So there are four things that I think God wants us to do to posture our hearts to be ready to address that conflict when it happens. Number one, very simply, remember who God is. When conflict arises, you're going to have all these thoughts, all these emotions. And what God desires for us first is to get into some quiet spaces, some stillness, 
before him. Because God is a gentleman. We can't forget that. God is a gentleman. He often doesn't want to talk over the other voices. He'll often wait until we've silenced all the other voices. And then he starts to speak in the stillness of our hearts. I think we can never really resolve a conflict until we get in stillness, get in quiet before God. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. He often provides clarity in our stillness. And in this moment in Exodus 14, man, they're on the run. The Egyptians are after them and their emotions are going wild right now. And God's like, hey, God will fight for you. I'll fight for you. Just be still. How often? Especially in the midst of conflict, does our mind just start racing, man? Right? We can't figure it out. So the emotions go wild. And God is saying here, just take some time, clear all those things, and just be still. My, one of my daughters recently, man, she, she really had a, a big emotional moment a couple weeks back. And, and I just wanted to provide clarity for her. I just wanted to speak into it. But yet, she was so... You know, her thoughts were going everywhere and stuff. And I just, man, if I could just get in there, if I could just explain the situation, if I could just provide clarity, if I could just get in there to speak to her, then maybe she could move forward here. That, I think that's what God's saying here. Just let me speak into it before you do anything else. Before you go anywhere, just be still and let him speak into the situation. Number two, remember who you are. When you encounter God in silence, you're going to also understand a bit more clearly about your own sin and your own shortcomings, which is also going to lead you to a bit less cynical view of that other person, isn't it? Because you're going to start to recognize that you really need grace. And that standard that you're judging other people by, maybe that standard isn't so high whenever you consider your own sin. You remember, um, remember Job, after listening to God for a couple of chapters... He's gotten in front of God, he's listened, he's been still in front of him, and then he does what? He's like, now I'm just going to repent and be quiet. <laughs> I mean, you know, now that I just sit in front of God, I, I just, I recognize who I am and my own shortcoming. He says this in Job 44 through 5. He says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. So before that... He's complaining about his friends, but then after he gets in front of God and listens to God and understands who he is in front of God, then he starts praying for his friends. You see that difference? He's, he's complaining, then he gets in front of God, he understands who he is and his need to repent and own what he needs to own in the matter, and then he just says, I, I, I want to pray for them. I want to pray for them. It shifts his thinking completely around. And then number three, remember who the enemy is. We've got one enemy, and it is not that person that we're in conflict with. Ephesians 6, 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, if you see somebody as your enemy, you're just not going to be able to get back in unity with them, are you? Remember the goal here. In Matthew 18, when Jesus talks about conflict resolution, he says, man, you go to that person directly, and if they listen to you, you have gained your brother back. Isn't that the goal? That's the goal here. You want to gain your brother back. Man, when, when you see that there's one enemy, and it's the enemy, 
now you just you got to get forces on your side, don't you? I mean, you got to get your brother and sister to, to be in lockstep with you. You're not making them an enemy. You're not dividing against them because you really need them in times of battle. You need them on your side. So instead, we just direct all of our need for opposition, all of our need for dividing, all of that onto the enemy. And now our perspective is clear to say, yeah, yeah, I want to be like what, what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 18. I want to gain that brother. I want to be in unity. I want to be in lockstep with this person. And then the fourth one is remember who he or she is. The person in the church that you're in conflict with is a child of God, dearly loved by him. It's not enough for us to value God highly. We've also got to value his children highly, too. I mean, you could do all kinds of things for me. You know, you could get me a brand new chess set. You know, that's I'm big into chess, although... Now, I've met my match with Brandon, so he, you know, I may play a little less chess because I can't be the best anymore. So, or, or you could do all kinds of things for me, man. I mean, you name it. You get me those Dallas Willard books. Give me all the Dallas Willard books ever made. Whatever. But if you don't treat my kids well, we're just not going to be friends. That's the point here. In fact, if you don't treat my kids well, we have a big problem here. No matter what you do for me, it just doesn't matter if you don't treat my kids well. That's the point here. That's what God is saying here. Man, the best way you could ever love me is to love my kids. And in fact, in 1 John 4.20, it even ups the ante completely right here. It says, for whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have have not seen see that when your heart is not in position to love God's children there's a big problem there but if it is then now we're ready to assume good faith now we're ready to assume the best and and hope for the best and hope for unity and you know I think assuming the worst about a situation is one of the biggest ways that we revert back in our transformation, that we go back into that yoke of slavery, isn't it? You know, we've had past experiences that haven't been very good, so now when something comes up, again, we assume the very worst, don't we? We can very much revert. Um, we've been having issues re recently with our washers, plural, yes, plural. So a few weeks ago, um, I guess a couple months ago we got a new washer, but before that we had like these leaks and these big messes and stuff like that over and over and over again before finally we got like this state-of-the-art great washer, right? Well, it starts leaking. So <laughs> we're having a home study for foster care, okay? Ladies over interviewing us. All of a sudden our washer's upstairs. All of a sudden it starts leaking down through the ceiling and down onto the downstairs floor, while we're doing this home study. She's talking about our house. And I'm over there getting buckets and trash cans and towels and everything. And I'm like, Judy, this, this isn't normal. I promise everything's okay here. I don't know why I said that. Her name's not even Judy. I don't. But man, like, I'm just overwhelmed in this moment. And then the guy comes out the next day, says he fixes it, but he forgot to put a piece back in, a very important piece. 
And so we run laundry again the next day, and this time it comes out like a waterfall down on the downstairs floor. And I mean, we exhaust all of our towels, all of our everything we got, right, to get this right. The next day, he comes back out, and this time he does fix it. And we know he fixes it because we ran many loads of laundry because we had lots of towels to wash after that. And we know for sure that he fixed it. So three, four days go by. I come home from work one day, and I see the floor, and the floor is wet. Morgan is mopping. But my mind goes straight to, oh no, it happened again with our washer. Here we go. We're throwing that washer out. We're not getting a new washer. Forget washers altogether. What a terrible invention that is. We're washing everything by hand from now on. That's where my mind went pretty quick. And Morgan's like, dude, chill out. I'm mopping the floor, man. Pull yourself together a little bit here. (laughs) All because I assumed the worst in the situation. Because of past experience. And I think we think we're justified in doing that. But what happens is, if we live our life assuming the worst, we are going to feel jaded. We are going to be anxious. We're going to have a very, very tough time. We have to assume the best in a situation. We have to. Otherwise, we end up creating problems while we're looking for problems. We have to take a step back and assume the best. If we can just take Jesus' eyes, if we, can just, if we can just see people the way that Jesus sees them, then now what we're going to do is we're going to start to assume the best. So, as we conclude, worship team, you guys can come back up. Let's review. When it comes to conflict, the first thing is remember who God is. Get in a silent, still state with God. Next, remember who you are. Recognize your own sin and your own need for for grace. And then remember who the enemy is, the real enemy. That person is not my enemy In fact, I want to be in unity with that person. And then remember who he or she is. He or she is a child of God, dearly loved. And we want to assume the best about that person. And now, now you're ready to go and outwardly face that conflict. So what do you do next? Well, you'll have to come back next week for that. But let me just say in conclusion that as you look at these four things you're going to undoubtedly look at them and you're going to say, man, I am really missing it in that area. I mean, I'm really just wrecking it. And that's part of it. Transformation takes time, man. The main thing is, just don't go back. Don't revert back. Don't go back to that thing just because it's familiar. Trust God in this new realm, in this new way to handle that tension or conflict. Just trust Him through it. Because they'll always be there with you through it. And unity often is very unfamiliar to us. But it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Because, like we talked about last week, it is unity that helps the world to see that Christ is who He is. If we want the world to see a difference, perhaps in the area of conflict, that is the greatest way we can demonstrate a difference 
to the world. Now, at the beginning, I gave Peter kind of a hard time about going back to fishing, but in John chapter 6, Jesus gives what I call the vampire zombie sermon. My body is real food, my blood is real drink. And all these disciples leave Jesus. Said, this is just too much. We're, we're out of here. This is a hard teaching. It's just too much. It just, it, it just doesn't sit well with me. And Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, hey, you want to go too? Here's your chance. You can go too. And what does Peter say? He says, where else am I going to go? You alone have the words of life. And I'm just going to go and I, I don't get it. And this is a point of tension in my heart. And this is, this is a conflict. And I, I don't really understand. But yet, where else am I going to go? I, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to that, that life that I had, that little tiny fishing business when you're calling me into this big thing. I'm not going back. As you leave here today, just don't go back. Don't go back. Trust Him in the unknown. Trust Him in what's unfamiliar to us. And watch as He starts to do things in our lives that we just haven't seen before. And we just say thank you. As we just stay close to Him, we just say thank you. And maybe there is somebody this morning that you're not quite there with in unity. And you feel like it's, it's time right now to realign my heart posture to what God desires. Man, it's a great time to do that. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. Remember who the enemy is. And remember who that person you're in conflict with is. And watch as God begins to allow us to be ready to act in that conflict. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're so thankful that you do give us this manual of what it looks like to align our hearts in the midst of the biggest tensions to just stay with you and not revert back to these other things. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for who you are. And I pray that as we close out this time that you will be magnified. Be magnified in us. Father, that's our prayer. We love you very, very much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.